and welcome to Blades Pod. My name is Ben. It is Tuesday, the 28th of August. I am joined once again by the star of Sheffield Live and my fellow writer and podcaster, I guess, of uptheblades.com. Jay, how are you? I'm cringing from that introduction. But, um, <laughs> well, it's very good. It's very nice <laughs> of you to take the time from, uh, from appearing on television to uh, continue to do the podcast. I really appreciate it. Now the podcast is the heart and soul, mate. <laughs> uh, for anyone who doesn't know, we're talking about Jay appeared on uh, Sheffield Live with Alan Biggs last week. Uh, it was very good, I thought. I, I know you you were a bit more self, well, you were self deprecating, I guess, about your your television debut. But I thought you were very good. Uh, and people can check it out on YouTube, I think, aren't it? It's on the Sheffield Live YouTube channels, which which I do urge you to go and watch, by the way, if, if you haven't already. Because uh, yeah, I mean, I think as uh, Alan Biggs said himself he's surprised that you can sort of have a an in-depth conversation about football statistics for that length of time but obviously that's no news to uh no news to me and you or anyone who listens to this podcast I guess but did you enjoy it was it uh, was it a good experience It was um I know Alan gets a bit of a rap sometimes with uh with us and I've given him some before in the past which I spoke to him about when I was there but he was actually really good um he made it very comfortable and he was really good. He actually was interested as well, which, you know, he is an old school man and he admits that. So it was quite interesting trying to convey what we do um, to somebody who's from the old school. Um, and I think, you know, by the end of it, I'd opened him up and after the show, you know, he was, he was really intrigued and he was going to start looking at things himself. And uh, yeah, it was really, really interesting. Nice. Yeah. And yeah, like I say, it was, uh, it was a good watch. I enjoyed it. Um, all right. Something else that was uh, an enjoyable watch was, of course, our 3 0 demolition of Bolton Wanderers this weekend. I think we can probably use that word. It was a pretty comprehensive win. Um, and yeah, now here we are. We've, uh, we obviously lost our first two games of the season. We have since won three three games in a row. Uh, and we have the same amount of points, which is nine, as we did after five games last season as well. So overall, uh, I think we can probably say that's a, a pretty darn good start to the season. But we're going to talk about the Bolton game specifically in quite a bit of detail. Uh, we're going to give our player ratings, and we also asked on Twitter a few hours ago uh, for any questions that um, you guys might have that we could potentially discuss, and we're going to try and get into a few of those as well if we have time towards the end of the podcast. But let's kick it off with uh, yeah, with this win over Bolton. So um, I think when when this game kicked off, Bolton were third in the league, obviously a very early table. Uh, so yeah, they'd had a, a well a more than decent start. They'd gone and won at West Brom, which I think. You know, probably by the end of the season will be one of the more surprising results in the whole championship, I guess. Um, they'd beaten other teams down, that probably expected to be down towards the bottom of the league, like Birmingham and Reading as well. But, you know, overall, you kind of think this is going to be a fairly tough game. Then, as you sort of looked at the statistics from Bolton's performance so far, it kind of suggested, oh, maybe they are quite fortunate to be in this position. I think the stats were they'd had the second lowest number of shots in those four games they'd conceded the most number of shots so you kind of think oh perhaps actually they're not that good and then United turned up and completely proved that to be the case Bolton are not that good but Sheffield United are brilliant and I think this is a very uh I think it's a very important point that, that those two facts can exist side by side it's not a case of Bolton are ter- terrible therefore you know doesn't really matter that United looked good I think we can very much hold both of those up and go, yes, Bolton are not very good, but United clearly are quite good and made Bolton look like, look like absolute mugs, to be honest. I mean, 
you know, we we just ran them off the park in in every aspect. I thought, how? Uh, what was your sort of take on this game? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting what you said there. Um, you know, me and you were were very keen on kind of portraying the Bolton data in the right sense. So yeah, they don't shoot a lot. They've scored on more shots than anyone in the league. Um, they concede a lot of shots, and their xG data is very poor. So even on this very small sample size of four games prior to this one, they were in a false position. They should be near the bottom of the table. That's what their performances suggest. However, they have got results. So mm. there was some some method to what they were doing. They were either outlasting someone, they were being more clinical, they were outbattling people. Yet, the reason they look so poor and went to their, their performance data, if you will, is because we made them look that way, didn't we? Yeah, um, absolutely. And we, and we did that just by bossing the game from, from the first second uh, it started. I mean, you were trying to I don't say where, but we were trying to watch the game um, and we were conversing on Twitter and it was just, you were just feeding me updates of how amazing the start was. It was just attack after attack. You pressed them back and just kept them pinned in there and Fleck had that chance in the second minute. It was a brilliant save from their keeper. Mm. Um, and what a goal that would have been. And then, you know, a couple of minutes later, Duffy bags the first and away we went and just, we didn't look bad. It's probably the most complete United performance I've seen. I think we said, yeah, yeah I agree, since the Cardiff game at home. But even that wasn't fully complete because we did concede in the end. So I'm, I'm trying to think back to the last time I saw that complete of a United performance. It must be quite a while ago, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think you've um, your use of the word complete there is uh, is particularly apt. I think because yeah, that I agree that our probably best performance since that Cardiff game. But as you say, we obviously conceded a, a fairly sloppy goal right at the end and only got one point. And yeah, we were just superb in in every aspect of the game. You know, we, we attacked brilliantly. I think we took 14 shots inside their box, which is a, a heck of a lot. We defended superbly. You know, I kind of, uh, in my preview, sort of identified that, you know, Bolton, even if they don't take many shots, they're still a, a threat going forward because they, you know, they uh, they play quite a direct style. There's a lot of long balls up to, up to um, it's Josh McGinnis, isn't it, Who's, um, who is very yeah. good in the air. So we shut that down. We kept the ball brilliantly. We passed it superbly. You know, we... We got bodies in the way on the few occasions that we we needed to. I'm thinking of the Leon Clark clearance, for example. It was just yeah, complete. It was perfect almost. And uh, I was trying, um, you know, I, I was after the sort of game thinking and trying not to be sort of uh, hyperbolic, if you like, and thinking, geez, when was yeah. the last time we played that well? And obviously, numerous times last season, we were absolutely brilliant. But I genuinely think, yeah, we might even have to go back to sort of pre Coots injury before we played as well as we did in this Bolton game. And obviously it was a way as well where we, you know, we were not great last season. I, th- I looked it up earlier. I think we only won eight out of the 23 away games. So yeah, uh, as much as you can say Bolton were rubbish and they were, you have to respect the fact that we made them look that way and yeah, played, played an almost perfect game from first minute to last, I think. Absolutely. Um, and, and there's key relationships for in the performance as well. I think you made a great point when we were speaking before, which is we're improving game by game. Um, and I think that's very important. You don't want to peak early, but you need to see that the performances and individual and, and relationships are forming within the team. And I think none more key than the, the Norwood Fleck partnership in this. Um, Norwood is, is improving everyone around him. Mm. Uh, it's clear to see. I'm sure we'll get into kind of Fleck and Stevens and Duffy and everyone really. But what I found one of the most intriguing things was. Um, Norwood's kind of so if you look at our pass sequencing where the most number of passes went between the actual partnership that had the most passes was Norwood to Freeman 
Um, that, that was 16 passes. That was more than any any other pass partnership on the field. So one player passing to another, that was the, the highest pass partnership we had, which might not mean a lot to some people, but for us who kind of study the numbers, we are constantly a left-hand side team. So we, we always play down the flex, even though Connell's side, and that's where most of our attacks come from. Last year, 42% of our attacks came from the left-hand side. Since Freeman's been back in the team and the introduction of Norwood, we've been predominantly a right-hand side team. And we actually created most of our expected goals, um, tally in the last few games from the right-hand side. So there's a real partnership forming there. and It's added such balance to our team. I think mm. everyone saw we were left-hand side heavy. All the opposition just pinned us in that left-hand side. It, it, it started to remove Fleck out of the game and Stevens started to not play poorly, but didn't do the right things because of that, because of the pressure on the ball on him. Yet now we're a balanced team. We open to both sides of the pitch. We play through the middle as well, straight forwards to Duffy. Um, and it just it seems to have opened up a whole new performance angle for us. We've now mm. got space to play. We've got variety. Uh, and I cannot even like begin to measure the impact Norwood's had in two games. Well, I mean, like you say, it does seem to... It has coincided with an, an improved performance from several other key players, I guess. I mean, Stevens is the obvious one for me who... Um, I know you wrote this in your in your write up on uptheblades.com that's gone live today, so everyone go and check that out, please. Um, yeah, you, you know, you essentially wrote that he had, as we talked about, he had quite a poor start to the season, but certainly the last two or three games that, which obviously coincides with Norwood's introduction to the team, that has improved, and he's he's uh, I guess involved in a more impactful way you know he's starting to actually rack up these chances created these assists and yeah it's is it kind of he's not getting pinned in that left sort of left hand side left quadrant anywhere near as much as he was and yeah the other one is obviously Fleck who I think again is improving game by game and certainly his best performance of the season uh against Bolton but it it was a masterful performance remember we can we can talk about it in more detail um when we come on to player ratings but yeah we if we can get the best out of Fleck, then we will have a good season, I think. And uh, we weren't, we were, well, either we were not doing that or it just wasn't happening for some other reasons in the first few games, but certainly did yeah. in this one. And yeah, Bolton just couldn't, couldn't live with him, basically, and uh, the impact he was able to have. No, absolutely. Um, and it, it is interesting uh, because actually on, on Saturday, Fleck had less touches than he normally has been having, mm. but impacted the game more. And I think that's key. That, Flex playing in areas now where he needs to be playing. He's playing, he can pick the ball up deep, we know he can, and he can play deep, and he can dribble from deep. But if he picks it up just before the final third and drives into the final third, that's when Fleck is at his most dangerous. Mm. And that's when, statistically, he was one of the best midfielders in the league last year at that kind of area. And I think the, the best thing for me was how joined up he was in the boxing with the strikers. Mm. Um, John, John Fleck was the, the second highest XG player in this game for United. Bardley Sharp, you'd expect a striker to be there, but for United last year, one of our major issues was goals from midfield, um, especially from open play. It just didn't happen, mm. and it needed to, because I, th- I think we all knew that, especially Clark was going to regress slightly this year. We're not going to get 30 odd goals. We're not going to, I think I wrote, we got 52% of our goals from strikers last year. Mm. Well, that's not going to happen again. It, 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 it's rare. So we need people to chip in. We're, we've already seen the set pieces, but if John Fett continues in that vein and he's allowed the freedom to do so, He's good for 10 goals a season. He really is. Um, mm. And I know it's only Bolton. There is caveats to this. But, as again, you know, if nothing else, Bolton are normally quite a hard side to break down. And, and we just dismantled them. Um, and from open play as well, which I think is the key, because before yeah. this game, we'd not actually... I, I think Mark O'Hare, he's a really good guy on Twitter. He's a betting analyst, but he's really good with the stats. And he tweeted out, 
the XG open play league table, and we were actually 19th in the league. Mm. So we'd actually not created much from open play. Yeah, that has all, all changed from this game. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I love the fact that we seem to be improving almost by the game, if you like. And yeah, you do get these. I, I do, I do expect Bolton to be down at the bottom of the league. I mean, we obviously, I think we predicted them. Well, I had them coming bottom, I think, but certainly. I, I need to look this up again, but I think on our predictions we had them in the relegation zone for the season. And you know, watching that game yeah. and, and looking at the data, I'm I'm still pretty confident in that. But at the same time, you know, you do you do occasionally get these teams that sort of completely defy the underlying numbers. I mean, obviously Brentford last season uh, somehow finished ninth, I think it was, despite being you know kind of far and away the best attacking team in the league by the sort of uh, advanced numbers. You know, Reading a couple of years ago got in the playoffs despite not really playing any better than they did last season when they almost got relegated. So, you know, sometimes you get these teams that just, I guess, defy all all logic and all data, I suppose. But I don't think Bolton will be that. But, you know, you, you kind of don't know that going into the game. So, yeah, great win for us. I mean, just to kind of, uh, I guess, cover off the details. So, um, yeah, United took the lead when uh, Duffy was, uh, well, Basham created the chance for him and he kind of uh, passed it into the net from the penalty spot. Uh, we made it 2-0 with a, a very bizarre goal, I think it's fair to say, <laughs> with uh, Freeman with a, the definition of a, a cross-come shot, I suppose, that uh, Clark stepped over and it, it kind of floated into the net. It reminded me of a goal that Freeman scored away at Oxford in our promotion season, actually, yeah. where, um, yeah, with that one I actually, I think it was almost certainly a cross as well, and it kind of just floated into the corner of the net, but yeah, they all count. Um, and then the no point no four xg that's pretty low um and then in the second half fleck finished off a fantastic team move which uh which opta actually highlighted as uh, i think it was the most number of passes in a, a goal in the championship this season so it was 16 passes by united all but one outfield player touched the ball, eventually got cycled round to Stevens, who crossed for Fleck, who had broken into the box, and he swept the ball into net to make it 3-0. Uh, brilliant goal, brilliant move, and sort of... I, I mean, you you put this beautifully on Twitter, just kind of emblematic of the, the football that we play under Wilder, I guess, and how, how fantastic it is to watch. And, you know, we should... Uh, make sure we keep appreciating the fact that we, we play such good flowing football, even if, you know, we don't have... 100 million to throw at players and we're not going to win the league etc so yeah great win and uh yeah a lovely goal to cap it off i thought yeah i mean a, a couple of things just about that goal um that I, I you know you see goals and sometimes it doesn't mean anything it's a goal you celebrate it of course you do you love it but it doesn't mean anything in terms of style of play mm. that goal was very different i picked up a lot of different things so I, i'm quite critical of billy sharp's build-up play mm. I, I don't think it's that good in the build-up play yet in that mood he twice kept the ball, controlled it under immense pressure, so a player pushing against his back, held it up perfectly and laid it off. Now, one stat that we don't have in the, in the, in the analysis world, I might have stumbled on something here, but I doubt it, is um, kind of, that, that goes down as a backwards pass, right? So mm. it doesn't look like much on paper. Yet what we don't record is, is kind of strike a hold-up completion, if you will. And I think this is one area that Sharp actually could excel in, because he is very good at getting his body in between defender and ball and holding play up but mm. this time he actually released it well and his distribution was good and then in Bogolgic was able to drift in this kind of number 10 and a half role that Wilder's spoken about before where he slightly dropped off 
and then he just picks up the ball and he's got a wonderful passing range for Goldrick. I, I really do like that about him. And he was able to just open out the pitch because everything on that 16-pass move was on the right-hand side. Mm. So Bolton had all crept over to the you know to their left to try and slover us. Stevens was just in acres. Um, you know, and it, it was really well, it was just beautifully worked. Um, and it was really good tactically as well. It's one thing I did do in the write-up, which is worth noting, is how centrally Stevens played. Mm. Um, I don't want to make this comparison, but I'm going to. Um, that is very, very Chris Wilder miraging Pep Guardiola. That, that's Whoa. what Pep does. Pep, no, I'm going there. I'm going there. I'm okay. going there. Go on. Pep's fullbacks at Barcelona and at Man City come in and out all the time. So Ben, ben Mendy will play with Whip. However, if they play with Delph or Zinchenko, the, the left-back will go and join in the midfield to make an extra man. Mm. You look at Stevens' positioning on Saturday at any given point in that game, off the ball, on it he might have been wide, but off the ball, he was tucked in and central. Mm. That was to create another man in midfield and it was to narrow the pitch so that on the right-hand side we could go wider. Um, I've got thoughts on why that is. I won't go on that now because it's a pod. But um, that was a wonderful little tactical setup, and it just goes to show how brilliant Wilder and Nil really are when it comes to these little tactical tweaks and just keep evolving the team more and more based on the players they're bringing in. Mm. Excellent. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully the success of Wilder and Nil will continue to match that of uh, Mr. Guardiola himself. <laughs> <laughs> 100 points, here we come, again. I can't believe I've done it, but I've actually done it. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one could uh, could get brought up in future, but let's see. Um, all right, I, th- I think one other, just one other thing to note before we uh, go on to play ratings, which, uh, which you called out in your write-up, that our first clean sheet for 14 games. So we're going all the way back to our goalless draw with Ipswich, I believe it was, in was that February, I think, last year. Um so yeah, that's, that's obviously in uh, in league games. That's a very long time. Uh, it's something we were quite poor at last season, the actual number of clean sheets. Um, and again, you made this point in your write-up, was that you know while we, on a sort of goals per game basis, we didn't concede that many more than uh, than Cardiff, who had the, the, the sort of uh, most miserly defence in the league, I guess, in terms of the number of goals they conceded. Uh, but the fact is that Cardiff kept a ton of clean sheets, whereas we hardly kept any through the season. So, you know, it, it was kind of a case of uh, opposition didn't score many goals against us, but they almost always scored. And, you know, with football obviously being a low-scoring sport, that, that really does hamstring your ability to, you know, turn one point into three, I guess. So, um, yeah, I know it's only one clean sheet, but uh, it, it's a, a good sign, obviously, and hopefully, uh, hopefully more to come as well. Needed, uh, really needed. I feel because it had been a long time since we had kept one, and we have got this. We've got a new goalkeeper. We've got a new centre half in Egan, uh, and we seem to be slightly tweaking how we play at the back as well. So it, it, it was needed, and hopefully it's something that can continue because if we do become a little bit more miserly defensive-wise, um, it takes the pressure off the strikers to score as many goals. You know, it's all right saying Leon did score them last year, but if we say what ifs, well, if Leon didn't quite score that many, we would have lost. So it's it's really we need to we, we need the strikers to score we need to create them chances but we also need to be a lot more considerate at the back and make sure that we uh, we are shutting games down especially when we're in control of games because you know there was no need to concede at the weekend it, it yeah. wasn't a game where we had any real threat against us apart from that clearance uh, off the line mm. Leon and, uh, you know 
it out, do the job. And, uh, you know, if we get the desire to keep clean sheets, it can only be a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, maybe this is a good point just to... No, actually, we, we can discuss this in player ratings uh, when we... I've got a note here that we're, we're going to talk about Chris Basham in some detail. We're going to have a, a Bashambauer loving when we get onto uh, his player rating. But let's dive in with uh, starting from the goalkeeper then. So, Dean Henderson, give me your rating out of 10 for this game. Uh, just a steady 7 uh, for Dean because I, I don't really think he had much to do, but he did nothing wrong either. Um, distribution, well, distribution was decent and he also made a couple of claims, I remember, mm. um, which is always important when you play in sides like Bolton, you know. If the keeper can come and claim it and take the pressure off the defenders, then it's always nice and worthy. So I thought he did well in the air. Yeah, that's fair enough. Basically the same reason I gave him 6 out of 10, just in a, you know, he had nothing, barely anything to do, I guess. They only had two shots on target in the game and one of those was cleared off the line. But yeah, he, he was, uh, he handled cross as well. Basically, as you say, whatever he had to do, he did it well. But yeah, given uh, given the volume of, of involvement in the game, uh, a 6 out of 10 for me. Um Let's talk Ender Stevens next. So, yeah, last two or three games I think have been very good from him. Uh, I think this was his his best performance so far, which I think I also said last week as well. Um, this was an eight out of ten performance for me for him. I think you know he, he chipped in with the assist for uh, for Flex goal. He created um, two other chances as well from that left wing spot, um, and I think also he was very good defensively. You know, he was up against. Uh, it was up against Bolton's best attacker, and you know you could say that's you know perhaps not saying a great deal, but Sammy Amiobi, which is always a enjoyable one to say. So well done to his parents for going with that particular name. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, is basically their most lively attacker, and he is you know he is somebody that will constantly try things. You know the ball does sort of seem to stick to his feet at times, and he kind of you know sometimes he's kind of dribbling around players, other times it looks like he's just kind of stumbling through tackles, but. You know, it was their most involved attacker, and Stevens did a a really good job against him, I think. And uh, yeah, completed five out of five tackles, and sort of by by the end of the game, Amiobi was drifting inside and shooting from forty yards and going about twenty yards over the bar. So yeah, really, really strong eight out of ten performance for me from Stevens. Yeah, snap um, eight out of ten there, definitely. You know, as you said, again, three chances created, which is you know one of his primary functions as well as the defending getting better and better as well. And really interesting was seven out of six um, passes to the final third were accurate. So, you know, that's one of the highest in the team apart from John Fleck. So it's shown when he does play deep as well, he's really, uh, really good on the ball. You know, he's very accurate, but he's probing as well, which is, which is really good to see. And since that kind of, since Norman's introduction and that link with Marvin Johnson came out, yeah. Stevens' performances have, have really increased. I was going to, I was just going to mention that actually, Marvin Johnson, the uh, the winger that we're or the, the sort of left sided defender slash winger that we've been heavily linked with for um, probably about three or four weeks now. To be honest, basically since the original transfer deadline uh, passed, and uh, yeah, since then Stevens has actually improved. So, I mean, if we sign Johnson tomorrow, I'd expect him to start on the bench in the next game. To be honest, because uh, yeah, Stevens has definitely stepped it up, which is good to see. Um, what about uh, Jack O'Connell then? Give me your out of 10 rating there. Uh, I gave Jack an, an 8, but it could have been a 9. Oh, really? Um, yeah, our, 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 and this was really more of an eye test than a statistical thing, but for me, our best defender. Um, mm. In terms of defending, so we'll, we'll get on to Bash in a minute and how amazing he was, but in terms of just pure defending, winning the battle, Jack O'Connell, without a shadow of a doubt, was, was the man for me. Um, 
won his aerial duels that he had to win was our was our main aerial duel win, I believe, you know, out of the whole team. Mm. Kind of put, put some those statistics out there. But won sixty seven percent of all these duels, so ground duels as well, um, as well as aerial duels. So basically whenever there was a fifty fifty or a loose ball, Jack O'Connell's winning it. Um most you know, a lot of interceptions as well and clearances in there. He was just strong as an ox and, and that's what you need to be away at Bolton. Um mm. We just we gave them nothing, and Jack O'Connell was a big part of that. So I gave him an eight out of ten. Yeah, I've, I've scored him a seven, but you're now making me think I've I've gone a bit low there. Um, but my my thinking here was just just another good solid game, and another one who's kind of starting to string them together now. I think going back to QPR yeah. onwards. I mean, yeah, just barely put a foot wrong. I think he was uh, he was one of the highest in the team for ball recoveries. You know. He, he didn't get forward much, which is something again we're starting to see in these last three games. But we didn't actually need him to. We yeah. we just needed him to defend, and he did it really, really well. So yeah, I, I'm. I think he was one who maybe had a slightly slow start to the season, but has definitely uh, definitely picked it up in the last few games. Um, John Egan, uh, basically very similar. I give seven out of ten as well. Thought good, solid games. Passing was very good. Uh, it's sort of aerial aerial duel percentage, I guess, was not great up against McGuinness, yeah. who, who we had identified beforehand as like an actual threat in the air. I think he, he, he I can't remember the exact number, but I think McGuinness wins like 15 aerials a game, which is <laughs> ridiculously high, really. I mean, it kind of speaks to the fact that Bolton do play a lot of long, long balls, I suppose. But I mean, the one thing I would say with Egan is that most of the headers that he lost were in quite safe areas. There was only one that was actually in the box. Most of them were quite high up the pitch. So, you know, he might have lost the actual act of heading the ball, but, you know, the ball itself may then have been mopped up by other defenders. So, solid game for me, 7 out of 10. Yeah, again, not really much more to add to that. Um, one of the interesting thing, he was actually only one behind Jack in ball recoveries. Mm. Um, again, that, that kind of falls into the style of the are going to play. There's a lot of second balls to mop up, but that, that shows those two did that well. Um, you know, and I, I think you touched on a really good point there. It's worth noting, not just John Egan, but again, tactical setup from Wilder and Nil. We played higher up the pitch with mm. a clear purpose that Bolton are going to bombard us aerially. If we play higher up the pitch, any any loose balls we do lose or any, any flick-ons we do lose are going to be from less threatening situations. Um, you know, we, we trusted ourselves that they wouldn't have the pace beat us over the top. I think that's fair enough. Amio will be potentially in a foot race, maybe, but McGuinness, you know, O'Connell's quick enough to cover the pace and so is Basham. So, mm. and Egan's not, not uh, you know, he's not a cart horse either. Um, so, you know, it was a 7 out of 10 performance, but I think he needed a couple of steady games, didn't he? And he seemed mm. to be settling in well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let, let's let's get on to the main man then, Chris Basham. How many out of 10? I'm going to do it. I'm going 10. Oh, Wow. Okay, go on. Well, I'm going to give all credit to Sam at Dan Blades here, which is HMS Bash was uh, <laughs> absolutely outstanding, quite frankly. It I was mean, an know, unreal performance. Just, I mean, in my, and listen, we don't give 10 out of 10 often, but I think when you take a single game and, and the fact that he influenced both sides of the game, going forward and defensively, so much, I, I, if that's not a 10 out of 10 performance, then what is? Um, you know, I, I accept some people might not say that's them, but I mean, just I'm not going to go over the numbers because I did them in the right up, and I, you know, I'm sure you've got some numbers there as well you want to add. But he's just incredible. So I mean, from right centre back, Basham had five touches in the box, which was the, the second most in the team, except Billy Sharp as a striker. You know, he created three chances. He's uh, his forward passing was in the seventy percent. His passes to final third was in the seventy percent. 
was like a nice dribbler. He won most of his duels. He just, I don't know, <laughs> what more could he have done, really? He was li- literally the best player on the pitch by a country mile. Yeah, I mean, you said what more could he have done. Uh, he could have scored a goal, I suppose. So uh, that, that was the only thing that stopped me from giving him a 10 because, you know, what would I have had to give him if uh, if he had actually scored? So I went 9 out of 10. It was a fantastic performance. You know, you obviously some some great stats there. He led the team in ball recoveries as well. Um, and yeah, I think, I think the one thing I do want to just add to that is, uh, and again, we saw it against um, Norwich last week, but the flexibility that he adds to our team. So, you know, when you were talking about game management earlier, obviously we're, we're 3-0 up at this point. Uh, Basham starts the game as the, the right centre-back, but we um, we bring on Stearman to kind of go in as another stopper. Basham moves into midfield. Now we suddenly have a, you know, a solid physical presence in central midfield as well as keeping the three players in defence. Just yeah. com- completely helped to see the game out. But... Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to diminish what he did with the ball at his feet as well. He was, you know, as you say, his, his dribbling was brilliant. He, you know, he got forward really well. There was that fantastic, probably intentional pirouette on the ball outside the box as well. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, you know, really, really glad to see him. Just kind of still surprising people, I guess. He, you know, even yeah. those of us who've watched him for three or four years and seen him get better and better, he's just. Uh, yeah, it's one of these players that I think people, myself included, still have like sometimes slight surprise that oh look, he was the best player on the pitch by you know by a fair distance in a game where every one of our players played well. He was the standout performer. So well done, Bash. Keep it up. Yeah, just one final point. That is, I'm the same as you, and I'm the same as a lot of fans. I, I love his, I love his passion. I love his drive. I love how he gets stuck in. He, he really does drive the game on. You know, he always plays at a tempo and at an aggression. I think it's unfair just to label that a bash on this game. I, I, that's not saying people are, but if anyone is, that's unfair. Mm. The quality and intelligence he brought to his performance was outstanding. Mm. The, the intelligence of when to press, when to get after the ball, when to sit in, the intelligence of where to be. I mean, again, to, just to relate to Marco Hay, he, he, he tweeted out early on a fantastic bit on what a deep completion is. It's something I look at all the time, and we've not really spoke about it much because, quite frankly, it's a bit nerdy. <laughs> but basically, a, a deep completion is, you know, it's a pass that's made around about, well, there's two areas, but 15 metres from the opposition goal or 25 metres from the opposition goal. Okay, so if you imagine that's an extremely hard pass to make because the opposition are normally defensively, defensively sat in there, so you don't get many passes in that area. Chris Basham made the most for Sheffield United on Saturday in that area. Um, you know, and that, 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 for me, just is another indicator of his quality. He's not just someone. Who, who runs around and does a lot. Mm. He has serious quality on the ball. and he, He's massively underrated from our fans because we love him as a trier, but he's more than that. He has lots of quality. And he, again, credit to Wilder and Neil because they put that out of him more than anyone else ever has. Yeah, it's, it's possible to be both a trier and someone who is technically very good as well. And yeah. uh, I guess we haven't seen too many of them uh, in, in recent history with United. So yeah, Basham is, uh, is definitely one of them. I guess also part of it is you know, it is improvement over time with him, over the period of time that he's played for us. And obviously he's played for, well, how many? Maybe three or four managers in that time. And, you know, yep. so this is one where you can't say, oh, Wilder has made a... I mean, obviously it has made a difference, but you can't say this is all down to Wilder. But, you know, when we signed Basham, he, he was a fairly limited midfielder slash defender, I guess. And he, you know, he just seems to add more and more to his game, almost to the extent yeah, where, yeah, we... 
we almost can't believe our eyes, I guess, as, you know, wow, look at him go, look at him, you know, skinning their striker on the halfway line and suddenly he's on the edge of the box and then he plays a great ball through to someone, etc. And uh, yeah, it's a great performance and continues to be one of our most important players, I guess, with, with that added advantage of um, the flexibility that he gives us. That's just that. Do you know what, Rick? Just finally, to finish off on my point of view, that's a fantastic point you raised there. Um, you know, we can, I, I agree we should give credit to Wilder, you know, for pulling these performances out of Bash, but how much credit does that man deserve for constantly developing his game? Mm. You know, he, he's adapt- yeah, he was a limited midfielder defender, but he's adapted now to play a specific role in our team. And our wide centre-backs, as we've discussed many times, play a very specific role. Um, you know, he, he's added elements to his game. I've never seen him dribble like we have the last two seasons. He, he, he looks sharp still. He looks fit. He's constantly fit. He's always, you know, we don't unfortunately have the numbers the ground's covered, but I'd imagine Bash is up there. Um, but he, he's a lot more accurate and careful with the ball as well. And when I say careful, I don't mean easy passes. You know, he's making hard passes still, but he's a lot more considerate with what he's doing, but it's always with purpose. And I just, you know, I, I think that man deserves a lot of credit for moving with this Sheffield United upturn. You know, this, this, this trending upwards that we have could have left Bash behind. But because mm. of how hard working he is, it hasn't. Well, I, I expected it would, to be honest. I mean, even, yeah. uh, you know, even as recently as um, the QPR game, we're saying, you know, is, is this our best back three? And it didn't include Basham in it. had Stearman in there instead. And certainly the end of last season, I was thinking, you know, that's probably a position that we try and upgrade that kind of right centre-back slot. But yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it probably is worth having a few minutes talking about Chris Basham here, a bit of a Basham loving, why not? Um, but yeah, I, I think the thing in is, thing is, you know, He's 30 years old now. It's not like this is a young footballer who was developed at the kind of pace that you sort of expect young footballers to develop. You know, he was, he was 26 when he joined us and he's, yeah. you know, completely, well, I don't know where his peak is. It just seems to get better every uh, every couple of games, yeah. to be honest. So, yeah, complete credit to him uh, as well as the uh, the managers and, and coaches he's worked under in uh, continued development in his game, I think. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, all right. Let's uh, let's move on then to uh, Kieran Freeman. So I give Freeman an eight out of ten. Uh, Thirteen out of fifteen passes completed in the final third, which is always something I, I tend to look at as uh, how impactful they were attacking wise. Uh, he got a uh, maybe a somewhat fortuitous goal, but it's still a you know still a, a good ball put into the box uh, that ended up in the back of the net and just generally was always involved. So um, yeah, another good performance from him. He's He's been basically very good since he got back into the team from injury. Yeah, I'm not going to add much more on that. Yeah, but, um, you know, uh, another chance created as well as the uh, as the goal. He had mm. two deep completions, the same as Chris Basham. So, you know, jo- joint highest there with the uh, kind of areas to play in that are the most dangerous. And it, it, you know, again, he gives us something different tactically because because of how good Freeman is on the ball and, and is at forward runs and what he can do in those final third areas. We've We've tended to push Freeman really high up the pitch, so he's not playing a right wing back role. He might do the work of that, but he's actually playing more of a right winger role. Mm. Um, you know, and we're asking Basham to cover a lot of ground defensively there, as well as moving forwards. But he's putting Freeman into dangerous areas, and he's clearly having a good effect. Isn't it? Yeah, definitely. What, what was your rating for Freeman? Uh, sorry, yeah, eight out of ten as well. Yeah, nice one. All right, John Fleck, what you got? Uh, I've gone for Fleck as a, an eight out of ten. Um, mm-hmm. Could, could could easily have been a nine. Mm. Uh, I think for a nine or a ten, Fleck, and I can't even want to say this because he had a really good game. Um, probably needs to do with a tiny bit more 
on the ball. Uh, no, I, I agree with you here. Yeah, you're with me. Because he only created, I say, he only, only created, he only created one chance. No real deep completions. Um, you know, his, his passing was good, but it wasn't the numbers that. I, John Fleck's passing accuracy is never that good. Whichever statistic you look at, forward passing, mm. sideways, backwards, total, whatever, it's never that good because he does try risky things. Yeah. Um, you know, like the pass to Freeman on the goal, he didn't quite make it. The defender headed it, and then we won it back, and Freeman put a cross in, and you know, he scored a very fortunate goal. But those are the type of passes Fleck tries. So. You're going to get that. You're going to get that variance. But I think probably a little bit more on the ball is needed before we have peak John Fleck. But goal yeah. scoring threat wise, that that was excellent to see, and that is something that we have lacked on Fleck. Again, that is the final piece of Fleck's game. I think you know consistency in goal scoring. If he adds that, we are talking a lot of. I don't want to sell him, but a lot of money for that type of player in this league. So an eight out of ten is what I gave. Yeah, I've gone eight out of ten as well. I mean, yeah, as you say, the sort of. He wasn't kind of hugely creative himself in terms of creating chances for others, but he was very involved in everything and just generally superb. And yeah, obviously got a goal, uh, could easily have had um, a couple more. I mean, there was the one the keeper pushed on the onto the underside of the bar and it kind of bounced down onto the line, but unfortunately not over the line. Uh, and then he had also in the first half had a sort of uh, a, well, a fantastic run and then a chip just over the bar as well. So yeah, very, very good performance, I thought. Uh, Mark Duffy, I gave an eight out of ten to as well. I mean, he's just a fantastic player, isn't he, Duffy? I just love watching yeah, him play. I he's do, I so do. good. He's just so good on the ball. Everything he does is brilliant. Uh, just you know, can only play seventy minutes or so. But yeah, class finish for the goal. I mean, I, I just—it's a stupid thing because it, essentially this was a. I mean, I don't know what the XG was on this chance, but. I assume that as chances come, this was fairly simple. He wasn't under much pressure. You know, the ball was played to him on his stronger foot. Uh, he was in space. He had time to pick his spot, if you like. But I still love a finish like that that's just kind of really calmly and casually just slid past the goalkeeper. who, yeah. You know, completely wrong foot of the keeper who couldn't even dive for it, to be honest. So, um, yeah, great game. Uh, four out of four take-ons as well, which is something that as a team we tend not to do very much. And, and three of those were in the opposition half as well. So he was... You know, shifting defenders about, moving the ball forward in the oppo half as well, which is great. Created two chances. Uh, this one surprised me, actually. It was one of our better pressing players in this game as well. He completed three out of three tackles, got an interception yeah. as well. And, um, yeah, if you look at his sort of uh, attacking dashboard in stat zone, as I, I like to do, that that just shows him, you know, it just popped up everywhere, basically. A really involved, brilliant performance with a, a goal to his name as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I was just about to put on that, actually. Well done for you. <laughs> um, tip of the cap for noticing that of, of the kind of um, pressing numbers yeah third most ball recoveries in the team as well um, mm. from, from my kind of data source Scout. so really good um, performance and stuff and again he, he, he's just beautiful to watch on the ball isn't he just so mm. in control of everything he does you know everything around him his awareness and his kind of peripheral vision he's always aware of what's happening wasn't wasn't massively over creative for Duffy um, you know he, he's normally the leader in key passes and things but as you say, it's what he does, the quality of it that's, that's key. And yeah. yeah, when it's played 69, you know, he's never going to get more than 70 years in, but what a 70 he gives us. And, uh, you yeah, know, I, I still think we do need to, uh, I, I'm happy to give Ben Woodburn lots of time, but we still do, do still need to figure out what we do when Mark Duffy's not there. Mm. Um, you know, overall, because he's a, he's just a, such a key cog of us being brilliant. Um, yeah. You know, and we aren't as good without him at the minute. So, yeah, I gave Duff an 8 out of 10 as well. That's all. What about Norwood? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say I gave Norwood a nine out of ten. 
Okay. Um, that was based on Basham being 10. If you say saying Basham was 9, Norm was, Norwood would have been an 8 because I don't quite think he, he influenced the game as much as Bash, but I'm in love with Oliver Norwood. Um, <laughs> I am absolutely in love with his playing style, his influence, what he does on and off the ball. I just, again, and, and this is not statistical based, it's just as a fan and as, as you know, someone who does kind of the analyst side of it as well. Do you know when you look at someone? He is a footballer, isn't he? The way he moves mm. around the field. Yeah. I, I, that makes, I hope that makes sense. I, I, sometimes you look at players, and even Bash doesn't look like a footballer when he moves. Norwood just oozes class. Um, it's like you know, the and balance every, and the... Yeah. You know, he's always in the right position to, to control and to pass. He, he, he doesn't need many touches to, to do what he wants to do, does he? You know, even if it's something yeah. simple like just spraying the ball to the wing, like, you know, it's just out of his feet straight away and, you know, he's just sort of... Clipping one with the outside of the foot, past the defender, straight into a, one of our players' path. So yeah, completely agree. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I pressed the time, so I don't want to really know all into his stats against. I'm sure you, you've got some good ones as normal, but you know, again, three, you know, a couple of uh, kind of chances created from set pieces predominantly as well, which is, which is clearly an asset he's bringing to the team, um, which you've touched on before very well. And he's just again, yeah, I just, I, he's another one I just love watching play at the minute he's completely changed the way we're playing um i am doing a bit of it i'm going to do a bit of a deep dive on this at the minute the sample size is small but if this continues i do want to look at kind of the effect of norwood uh, in terms of the passes to to our wing backs and to our number 10 strikers compared from norwood to evans um, that's unfair to lee evans um but i just think the tempo and the number of passes it takes us now to get into the final third is much less with oliver norwood he really has increased our, our verticality up the pitch. And I think that's showing in our chance creation. We look more threatening now because it, we're a lot quicker to get into to good areas. You know, we were a lot more ponderous and kind of probed slowly, um, you know, to the back end of last season, start of this season. But since Norwood's come in, we just look look a threat all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've gone uh, 8 out of 10, uh, you know, just on the basis I gave. Same logic as you, really. I gave Basham a 9, yeah. so... Really, really good performance, just a notch below that, I think. Um, again, I don't want to yeah, f- repeat too much of what you said there, but I think the the one thing that is worth calling out, uh, I think I mentioned this in my preview, or maybe I tweeted it as well, but um, yeah, managed to create three more chances from set pieces against Bolton. That is quite yeah. revealing, I think. A team that you expect uh, and, and actually are very strong from set pieces, we were still able to create quite a lot of chances. So, yeah, that's that's eight set piece chances he's created now in um, in just two games. So, yeah, he's good at corners, and uh, we, we finally. Uh, I think you, you nailed it there. We, we become we become more threatening from pretty much every situation, which yeah, we we just weren't last season at times. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, it. Looks like a great signing, uh, an unbelievable signing for the amount of money we supposedly paid for him. To be honest, so. <laughs> Just, just one final thing, sorry, on the Norwood one. Um, yeah. I did like this Dan saying, I didn't because I forgot eulogising about how good he is. Um, he's average pass length, so if you, you know if you take all of his passes, kind of average pass length. He's ran about twenty metres, which on Saturday would have been the, the longest in the team, including the centre backs. You know, not the goalkeeper, this is, but including the centre backs. Same in the QPR game, roughly the roughly the top two. Same in the whole game. So what you're seeing here is someone who has been bought in specifically to play those kind of. He can play short passes and he can play the 10, 15 metre ones, but he's playing more long range kind of probing passes that are designed to get somewhere quickly. Mm. Um, you know, it's really interesting to see that because that was Evans' role and he was not hitting that kind of pass length. Yeah. That, 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 it sounds stupid, but that's a really interesting 
artistic because it's showing that Norwood's verticality is just just completely eclipsing what our midfield did previously. Nice. That's uh, that can be the word of the day: verticality. I like that. <laughs> All right, Leon Clark. Uh, he was subbed off at halftime with a, a injured hamstring, but we'll still give him a rating. Um, I, I did actually think this was his best game for uh, possibly yeah. the season. To be honest, uh, yeah, Opta actually credited him with an assist for the Freeman goal, which is uh, <laughs> seriously. Um, although they did also give him the assist for Billy Sharp's winner uh, against Norwich the other week, which is I'm sorry, Opta, but that's just flat out wrong. Uh, maybe I should email up to and tell them it was actually David McGoldrick how could they make that terrible mistake but anyway you know that, that was still you know the, the fact is he was actually involved in that goal you know he was quite a clever step over which is something he tried earlier in the game as well and yeah I thought overall his passing was good he actually he actually attempted more passes in 45 minutes here than he did in the whole of the Norwich game I went back and checked that um, and had five ball recoveries as well so that kind of shows how, how you know his good defensive side which I think was uh, you know epitomised by that you know Big clearance off the goal line at 2-0 as well. So, yeah, it's his best game for probably the season, I think. But I'll give it a 6 out of 10 because, uh, yeah, he only only made it through 45 minutes. Yeah, that's, right, that's fair enough, probably. Um, I, I've torn between 6 and 7. I'd probably go 6 <laughs> just because it was mm. 45 minutes. But, but really interesting. Um, you make some really good points there about his build-up play, his passing. I think when Leon Clark was full of confidence last year, not only did we see goals, but we, we touched on it many times. It was his build-up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had the ability to play little flicks and tricks around the corner that opened space up. Mm-hmm. He really tandemed well with Duffy in that aspect. Um, and Billy Sharp's on the end of a lot of those kind of moves where the ball would be, especially from throwing, the ball would be thrown to, to, to Leon. Um, Duffy would work it to him. There'd be a little flick around the corner. Sheffield went away. was a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the amount of times Leon held it up and, and flicked it around the corner for an on-runner, you know, Duffy or Brooks, it really was good. Uh, and I think when he's when he's on a, when on song, He's really good target man in terms of build, build up play, and we saw that on Saturday. Um, and the goal line clearance was actually really important. You know, mm. we don't talk about game state enough on this pod. You're really good at it when, when you get into it. But you know, how different could this game have been if they scored there? You know, two yeah. one away from home against the side who were going to bombard you. That becomes a difficult task. So key, key moments like that are really big. And he was switched on, and you know, we all love a Leon lazy tag, don't we? But I think we're, we're proving more and more that it's just simply not the case. No, definitely not. Uh, all right, um, Billy Sharp, what's your rating? Uh, seven out of ten for Bill, um, and that's based on kind of what I discussed earlier on um, with the kind of the, the Fleck goal effect, Fleck third goal, which mm. was Sharp's involvement. Um, didn't didn't do much passing, but what he did, and, and this is more again eye testing stats. He, mm. he held it up well. He ran the channels. He worked hard. Worked his socks off, to be honest. Mm. And he just. He was just a nuisance. I just think he occupied Bolton defenders. You yeah. know, and it, what we don't see with stats is how important that kind of nuisance is for space for others. You know, mm. when we don't yet have the ability to track this off-the-ball movement kind of thing. And what Sharp did was, was just really intensely occupy those Bolton defenders. They were constantly aware of him. And he actually amassed the, uh, the highest amount of XG in the game. So through these kind of little half chances he had, he actually, yeah. you know, there was not one glaring miss or anything like that, but goes to show he is still really on song he's still getting into good positions and uh, yeah I think he's going to be really threatening if he continues in this form yeah no, I agree I gave him a 6 out of 10 you, you probably could talk me into a 7 there to be honest but yeah <laughs> link up play was good I mean uh, I think that the main thing as you said was you know you said about running the channels or working the channels but he kind of popped up all over the pitch I thought that was quite noticeable you know he was obviously on the right wing for um, 
in the lead up to Flex uh, goal, the third goal for us. But he was, you know, he was kind of popping up centrally, popping up on the left as well. So yeah, good solid game. Just uh, didn't, uh, I guess he just didn't have the opportunities that he's had in the previous couple. So I'll go six out of ten. Um, I, I think we should also just pay uh, or give a rating to McGoldrick as well, who came on for Clark at half time. So yeah. Again, I'll give this a six. I think this was a really good cameo from him for a half, and he he almost scored the goal of the season. I mean, imagine if that had flown in. That was a, a phenomenal effort. Um, for anyone who, who didn't see that, he basically took a touch to control a high ball, maybe thirty yards out, something like that, and then just hit a dipping volley, which uh, keeper made a fantastic save to sort of push onto the roof of the net. But uh, yeah, he. I think you mentioned this earlier, mate, but it, McGoldrick, he just generally looks a great option to bring on, when, particularly when we're ahead, I think, because his ability to kind of, um, well, I guess to hold the ball up, not in a, not in like a, he's a physical presence kind of, yeah. I mean, he sort of is, but he's not technical, like a technical, yeah, and he's, he's you know, just got really good control and, yeah, he's good at bringing others into the game and he, he doesn't lose it. I mean, it's it's that kind of thing that I really like watching Duffy is that he, Duffy rarely gets tackled because he's, you know, his balance and his ability to kind of shift himself and the ball under his control is so good. And yeah, from what I've seen so far of McGoldrick, there's the similarities there, I think, is just, just a very good footballer. And yeah, a, a shrewd signing on a free transfer, I think. Yeah, just to, just to back up what you said there um, about kind of hold-up play. I agree, it's completely different to a physical sense. Um, but really interesting numbers. Uh, you know, all right, he only played 45 minutes, so... It, kind of fair comparison to Leon but not to Billy but David McGoldrick was by far the, the player who lost the ball the least in all mm. half out of our, all our strikers um, right. you know, half of Billy a lot less than Leon in the same kind of time play and that really does it's small sample size you can't say it's right but that, that does, does go to show what you're saying he is a, he's another classy player he looks like a footballer his touch is always kind of spot on he, he plays into areas and spaces and he just looks very intelligent I, I, I gave him a seven um and I, I really don't think we appreciate how good of a start he's had. Because mm. they've been cameos and because he's impacted in small ways, you know, we've, we've kind of glossed over here. He's got an assist. He's got a goal. He should have had a goal at Bolton that would have probably been goal of the season. You know, he won the penalty at QPR for the goal, regardless of the penalty or not. He's, he's really had a good start numbers-wise. Mm. Um, you know, and they are little snippets. He, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be able to knit together a 90 because of the fitness issues. But, He's a really intelligent, classy player. And like you said, as, a, as an option coming off the bench, I think me and you defended Donaldson a lot last year. Physically, he's a nice option, but I really like this McGoldrick over Donaldson option. I, I think he adds an, a new dimension, a new element, especially when we're trying to control a game. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see how he progresses as the season goes on. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. Shall we? So this is something we're going to start doing uh, from, from this podcast onwards. We're going to... Uh, just discuss discuss who we think is our opposition player of the game. Um, do, do you want to do you want to have first dibs at this one? Uh, this one's pretty easy, isn't it? I think um, <laughs> probably. I, go, go on. Yeah, I'm going for the Bolton keeper. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of the saves were absolutely bloody outstanding. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't have him replacing Mr. Henderson, but you know, the, the save from Fleck in the second minute is, is incredible for two reasons: one, the, the save, and two, because the time within the game. He was hardly warm. Mm. You know, I know he had a warm up, so you can say he was still warm from his warm up, but at no point would he have made a save like that in the warm up. The reaction hit that onto the bar is outstanding. Mm. Um, you know, and then he made another three or four very good saves, and then the McGoldrick one as well. We could have had six quite easily, and that's not <laughs> that's not 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I have to say, this wasn't easy, and uh, yeah, he definitely deserves that award. I'm not sure what you think. No, I, I, it's exactly what I've written down as well. In fact, uh, Wilder said he was uh, had to be man of the match for for Bolton as well, which was not a uh, you know was was not intended as a kind of uh, backhanded compliment. I'm sure he was he was very good, had a really good game. I mean, the other one you could probably call out is uh, is Amiobi, who just because he tried some things, which was far more than the rest of Bolton were were able to. I think so. Yeah, kind of a, a lively player, but yeah, I would definitely go with. Uh, Bolton keeper with this one as well. Cool. All right. So that was that game. Uh, do you want to try and hit a few of these Q and A questions that people have lobbed at us? Well, we've still got a little bit of time left. Yeah, let's let's, let's do kind of five, 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 ten minutes on that. Cool. All right. Um, so here's here's one that maybe will be a good place to start. So this is from uh, Tomo at FPL Blade. He says, if we don't get a striker in before the deadline, how do you rate our transfer window? And uh, can we survive with the current strike force until January? And which striker would you like us to sign? It's three questions in his one. Uh, he's trying to be positive that we'll get a striker in, but we're cutting it a bit close, and we all know Wilder likes to do his business early doors. I am starting to get worried. That's that's his words, not mine. But um, I may share that sentiment. I'm not sure yet. But yeah, what, what do you think then? How, do you rate, how would you uh, rate our transfer window sort of generally, if we don't get a striker in? And do you think we're in a position where that's not a disaster if we don't sign one? The first thing, uh, I know we're going to eventually write a bit of a piece on this once the window is done after Friday. Um, right now, I rate it as kind of, if we do GCSE grades, um, I'm rating it as kind of a B, B plus. Mm. Um, and the reason is the striker for that, because uh, I'll, I'll answer questions to it in a minute, but I, I think we all agree that the, at least the option of another striker is needed because we mm. can't. I don't think we can go in the season with three, um, mm. because we we do play two up top. Uh, we're not a side that's going to play one up top often. So yes, Woodburn can probably do that role, and perhaps if Wilder brings in a Marvin Johnson or, or that type, some of versatile, maybe you could say they could do a job up front as well with some some kind of legs and pace. But we probably do need one more. Um, to answer the second part of that. Which was, I believe, can we survive with the current strike force? Yeah, uh, yes, is my answer to that. I, I think we can. I think uh, the data backs that up. So you know that they're both in the top fifteen in the division for expected goals so far. Um, I think Billy Sharp's always good for double figures. That kind of twelve to fifteen mark, even in this league, even with his age, because his age has no effect on, on his performance parameters. He's not fast anyway. Not mm. going to be up for a physical battle. So that's not the Sharps game. Sharps game has been at the right spot at the right time. He'll be able to do that till he's 38, 39. Um, mm. Leon looks fitter than ever. I would imagine at 23 or 24, Leon was never this fit. <laughs> so I, don't, I, 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 I genuinely think that's right. I actually think he's probably a little bit, you know, carrying a bit more weight back in the day just for some personal issues. He admits himself that kind of this is his best football and his best happiness period at United. Mm. Um, so I happen to think we would be okay. I'm not advocating we should. <laughs> We do need one, um, again, just for an option, because it takes the pressure off the boys as well. We we don't need to play them till every week, demanding goals from them. Yeah. We do need one more. However, if it didn't happen, especially with some of the figures that have been banded about, I wouldn't be crazy. Um, we all love a signing. We do want a striker signing, but let's be honest, Blackburn have just signed or signing Ben Brayerton for £7 million from Nottingham Forest. Mm-hmm. And 
although he's a, a very highly rated kid, um, one who I wouldn't have minded having, but not for that money, he's not worth seven million pounds. Not yet. There's nothing to yeah. suggest he's you know he's going to make that return. Scott Hogan is not worth thirty-five thousand. He's not worth breaking our wage structure for and, and, and kind of maybe rocking the boat in terms of squad harmony if it was to do. Mm. So I think there's options out there. The managers, the staff, they know what they want. Um, I've had a little bit of a debate about this kind of if the first kind of range of options, the, the Hogans or the Fletchers, if the club want them, aren't available because of the funds. I would like us to go to League One to go and get a youngster from League One. Um, mm on a bit of a loan-to-buy deal and, and kind of invest in someone who, who's got younger legs who can come in with Billy and Leon. We lead with Billy and Leon, but this player can learn from the two of the better players I believe he can learn from in the EFL and he can grow to be a first-teamer. So I'm looking at Carlin Ahern Grant from Charlton or Josh Madger at Sunderland. Um, I, I don't, again, I, no one really knows what's happening with the finances. One week we have money, next week we don't. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really sure what's happening with the finances. I, 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 you know, things at the top are, are still not quite right. I don't think there's problems as such, but I just think we need to get a decision from both owners rather than just one. So maybe we're never quite sure what the, the lay of the land is. Um, mm. Perhaps a loan is our only future in this window to get a striker in. Yeah, and uh, I think Wilder said sort of uh, sort of as much uh, in his interview with Radio Sheffield last week, which was that. Um, he essentially said, we don't have the finances to do a permanent transfer for the players that we're interested in. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that we have zero pounds to spend. It means the players that we can afford to sign permanently, uh, he does not believe are better than what we currently have or are worth the chunk of budget that would be required to sign them. So, yeah, it does sound like we will try and get someone in actually on loan and not on loan with a view to a permanent transfer, which... You know, it's quite a pragmatic approach. I mean, I guess uh, if I can give a sort of poorly articulated, probably answer to this, then uh, to Tomo's question here, then I guess it comes down to whether you want to take a, a kind of short term or a medium to long term approach to this. And I, I has, would hazard a guess that Wilder is thinking more medium to long term, and that is, you know, we could spend seven million on Waghorn, for example, um, and that might improve us a lot in the very short term, but it might completely hamstring us for the next two or three years or, you know, for the next window or the window after that. And it may well just be that, you know, he thinks uh, we have these three players, Sharp Clark and McGoldrick, who, yes, they're all old. Some of them are a little bit injury prone, but they're all clearly decent championship strikers. That's that's enough for now, uh, unless, you know, some kind of injury crisis happens, I guess, to just kind of keep us going for the next few months and then maybe reassess where the market is. Maybe other players become available as other transfers happen around the leagues, etc. So, yeah, I I will be quite frustrated if we... This sounds very contradictory, actually, but apologies. Um, I will no, be quite frustrated you. if... I will be quite frustrated if we don't sign a striker, um, but mainly because it's been such an area of need, I guess, from a squad development perspective. You know, you, just going in with three strikers in your squad is is a risk, particularly when they are all in their 30s. It's been something we've talked about for uh, probably since January, to be honest. Um, so to not address it is frustrating, but as we know, it's it's certainly not for lack of trying. And yeah, the, the championship market has completely exploded. I mean, even if you think back to January, you know, the idea that Blackburn would be a newly promoted team would be spending seven million on a relatively yeah. unproven striker. I mean, not to be patronising, but I imagine there's people listening to this who are thinking, "Who on earth are they talking about?" 
who is Ben yeah. Brereton? I mean, I yeah. sent it to my, I was messaged my brother about it last night. He was just like, who even is that? I've never even heard of that guy. But but that's where we are now. So yeah, in, in answer to the question, um, I, I think it is. It would have been a good transfer window. I think we can survive until January unless something goes disastrously wrong. I think we're we're leaving a small margin for uh, error there. I guess with an injury. Um, but I don't think it's. I'd rather take this approach to squad building than, uh, yeah, than to basically ruining the club for the next four or five years. I mean, I imagine that Wilder knows that we're not going to go up automatically this season, or yeah, it, it will require a, a an incredible confluence of events. But that you know, a kind of run at the playoffs is fairly achievable, and I, I hope he's kind of thinking, let's you know try and follow the Brentford, the Fulham model and, you know, build over two or three years at this level and eventually become, you know, a real kind of powerhouse at the top of the league where you can make a serious run at promotion every year. So I'm kind of okay with that rather than going, here's eight or nine million for somebody who may be good, but we're not actually sure yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think we will sign one as well. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Not, that's, I'm sure you're the same. That's not any in the now. Um, you know, things here uh, are wherever you do on Twitter, I do a little bit of work with scouts or agents doing some statistical profiling and they know nothing about Sheffield United so I'm not, not divulging any secrets here but, you know, I, everyone knows we're after one. Um, a lot of the reports are true of who we're after, I know, I know that. And a lot of teams are in the same position as us where we're not in a position to turn around and say, Aston Villa, we will take Scott Hogan and pay us 35 grand a week. Um, and, and any fan out there who thinks we should are just, you just nuts. <laughs> you know, quite simply, we cannot, A, we we really, we, we probably can afford it for a season-long loan, but we shouldn't. Because why should we tell Jack O'Connell he's only worth towards 15 grand a week, but this loan player's worth 35? It, it, it's not right. We have a squad that's built on harmony and built on a consistent level. Um, and you raise your financial level slowly. Yeah, It's what Tottenham are doing in the Premier League, and they're doing it really well. Um, it, it's not always the best way for fans, because it, it does mean that you have to say no to certain things. I, I do think we will get one because we've been after one for so long and things will massively change in the next two days and I do think mm. we will get one. Yeah, well, the the third part of, uh, of Tomo's question was uh, which striker would you like us to sign? Do you want to okay. lob a name? Yeah, yeah I, mean, uh, so I, yeah, I mean, this is just me, um, you know, money ball and all that. Um, but I, I, would, I would like us to go and, as I said, get... get the one I want is Carlin Ahern Grant at Charlton. Um, right. Start the season pretty well. Uh, young guy, 20, 21 years old. Uh, he's extremely fast and he's extremely tall and physical. But he's technical as well. He's got a good technical ability on the ball. I won't go into all the numbers behind that reasoning, but there is a lot of good statistical reasons for that. Um, scored goals in League 2 on loan at Crawley at the back end of last season, which is not always the greatest indicator, I guess, League 2, but it can be. You know, If we look at Ollie Watkins from Exeter to Brentford, mm-hmm. now one of the top players in the Championship, so... There's nothing wrong with looking at that jump. Um, and, and I just really like him. I think he'd be a player we haven't had for a while. And he, he adds a variety that Sharp, Clark and McGoldrick don't give. Um, yeah. So he'd be, he'd be the one I want. I wouldn't be unhappy with Scott Hogan if we did get him. Yeah. Same, really. I mean, uh, you know, if, if you're asking which striker would I like us to sign, then give me Tammy Abraham, give me Britta Sombalonga, please, on loan, <laughs> with, the, with the parent clubs paying all their wages. God, come on, realistically. What, really? Yeah, realistically. realistically. Who, who well, this would, is it. Sorry, go on. No, who, who would you want, realistically? I think this is the crux of it, and this is why I completely see where Wilder's coming from. 
the answer is like hardly anyone. You know, you yeah. just sort of look down the list, and it's like I don't want to pay, you know, eight nine million for Waghorn. That was what we talked about. Seven million for Brereton. He, he may go on to be an absolute superstar, but I don't want to suspend that on him right now. It doesn't seem worth it. So I'm um, yeah. I, I I feel like whoever, if we did end up suddenly going six seven million on a striker. There would be reservations and caveats with whoever that would be. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm kind of. My dream is to just get a a good young striker from on loan from someone, basically. Ideally, someone who uh, skill wise, physical wise, offers something a bit different to what we've got, which is, I guess, where Abraham comes in. Come and play football with us, and uh, you know, improve yourself and get a big money move to uh, someone who's going to play you in the Premier League every week. Tammy, you know, it makes sense. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think we've, if we just got time, just to hit one more of these, which would be yeah. quick-ish. I think. Yeah. One more. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, to be fair, so yeah, I guess just thanks to everybody who did actually submit a question. Um, I think we what we will probably have to do is either uh, address this on the site or do a, a, another podcast that addresses some of these, but. Just quickly on this, so I'm going to have to paraphrase a couple of questions here from uh, one from Maxi D, uh, one from Top Boy Blade, and I think someone else as well. I mean, Den Blades himself actually had a, a similar question along these lines, but yeah. the shorthand version of their questions, how do we see Coots and Norwood? If Coots comes back to the level he was at last season, can they play in the same team? How do we see that midfield three looking? And I, I will give you a initial stab at this and then maybe you can uh, come in with something else I guess what, what will our midfield look at uh, sorry look like if Coots comes back to his best so I would kind of point to how we were at the start of the season where we had this kind of or, or what I felt like we were trying to do was with this kind of midfield three of Evans Lundstrom and Fleck with Fleck playing in the sort of the number 10 role if you like the Duffy role that we've seen so far and I wonder if that might be the way that it shapes out if Coots comes back. If you if you swap out Evans and Lundstrom, if you have Coots and Norwood playing as these kind of uh, slightly more deep-lying players that are, you know, picking up possession, almost rotating, if you like, picking up possession from the, the defenders, getting it forward, spraying it out wide, etc. Neither of those two have a, a huge history of, um, I guess, being a box-to-box midfielder, scoring many goals. Obviously, Coots has, has very rarely scored in the, the time he's been with us. Um, but Flex best position is is further up. So I mean that was my kind of um, that was my kind of initial thought that those two Norwood and Coops would function as this kind of ball playing pivot, if you like, a deeper position, and Fleck just plays further up the pitch. And, and there's your uh, there's your replacement for Duffy, I guess. So uh, yeah, am I am I barking up the wrong tree with the at that, or do you think there's some some sense in it? Uh, there's sense in it, and there of course there is because we are based on a wing back formation. Um, mm. I think different. Cool. Um, and that's not to say that... I, I actually think you're probably right because that's the most logical thing to do because it keeps <laughs> our current shape but just puts better players inside it. Um, I actually think that I can see the shape against Hull in the second half being what we might move to in future. Oh, interesting. Say, uh, it's, a, it's a diamond in midfield, if you will. It could be a 4-3-1-2 uh, you know, with three fat, flat midfielders but I think it becomes more of a diamond and, and there's reasons for this. So... I think you have a back four, but the full-backs will not play as full-backs. That, that is clear as day in a Chris Wilder team, they, especially with the full-backs we have. They will be wing-backs still. Mm. Um, 
what we will then see is Paul Coots as the kind of defensive point of the diamond, if you will. Um, two reasons for that. One, that's where he plays his best football. Mm. Um, number two, Oliver Norwood played on the right-hand side of a Fulham three when he was at Fulham. Mm, okay. So he can kind of play to the right, and that's becoming obvious with his kind of pass maps and his positioning at the minute. He tends to angle things towards the right. So mm. I don't think that would be an issue. He wouldn't be playing as a right midfielder. You know, it's in the right centre channel, if you will. Um, and then I think that that's Fleck in his left centre channel, which is where he's brilliant because he'll start deep, but he'll be able to push on. And Duffy is the number 10. Um, the reason I think that is because Coots, when he comes back, there is no denying that after an injury like that, A, it'll take its time and toll. So I don't think Coots will be anywhere near fit until after Christmas in terms of shots. Yeah. And B... I don't think Paul Coots will be able to do the running that he wanted. Mm. Um, just because of the injury, the age, and probably the reluctance to, to cover the pitch as well, because quite frankly, that's not his game and he's not at his best when he's covering every yard. He's at his best when he's in certain roles. Um, so I think playing him at the, the point of a diamond in a kind of quarterback role, Paul Coots had good defensive stats. He's good at intercepting the ball. He's good at challenging as well. Uh, you know, So he can play that deep role well. And I, I think mm. we just had him playing that deep role, making that kind of patrol in that area. That's where he's good. Norwood and Fleck can, can roam wherever they wish. We, we could play with that double pivot, as you've suggested, and Fleck could roam. But I, I just think that that's maybe where we will go in future. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting for sure. Uh, I don't like the idea of the flat three, although I'm sure those three could make it work because of how good they yeah. are. I just think that Norwood and Coots would end up patrolling the same areas. Um, yeah, but that's, very possible. You know, it's not to say it couldn't work, um, but it's a really interesting one. But I, again, I don't think we're going to worry about this until after Christmas because yeah, he's very calm with Coots when he comes back. And uh, unfortunately, Norwood looks like uh, well, almost a straight swap in yeah. terms of ability. The, the performances so far, it's interesting. Um, you know, when you, you say about Coots as play like defensive work, I mean, you sort of if you're thinking of oh, we, we, essentially we'd be asking him to play as a defensive midfielder, or you know, kind of from a defensive point of view and you kind of think, oh, he doesn't have the physique for that and he's not like a Kante or a, you know, bruising into tackles, but that's not necessarily what's required. And I mean, as you say, yeah. his defensive numbers are pretty decent, but I think one big thing, and this sounds so stupid, this is like a, a really sad thing to be <laughs> excited about as a footballer, but I think one of the, uh, you know, one one big thing that Coots does very well is he knows when to foul. You know, yeah. he knows when to break up a move by just pulling a man back or tripping him up, you know. And, yeah, it's not it's not exactly the beautiful game or anything like that, but, you know, Pep's sides have been absolute masters at that down the years, haven't they? That, that's why they've... Yeah, one of the yeah. reasons they've been so good is you don't counter-attack on them. You know, they play very aggressively and uh, they will take a... a they're, they're like a masters at making a yellow card foul that the referee declines to give a yellow card from. And that's, again, that's something Coots is very good at, I think. So... Yeah, yeah no, good answer, mate. That was uh, that was an interesting, uh, interesting one. Um, all right, so thanks everyone who, uh, who lobbed us a question. Uh, I'm going to keep a note of them, and uh, most of them are ones that will not be particularly time sensitive. So we'll try and get to them either in the next podcast or we'll we'll do something else that addresses them because some of them will require more research than I have access to within the sort of 20 minutes since you um, <laughs> since we started doing this podcast. So, uh, yeah, there we go, mate. Three wins in a row. Uh, feeling pretty good about United right now. They're good to watch again. We're improving game by game, it feels. And we have a potentially cracking game coming this weekend with Aston Villa coming to Bramall Lane. 
Um, this could just be a fantastic game, I think. It's one of those games where I, I don't expect us to win, but I think we have uh, a very good chance. I mean, Villa have some phenomenal players. I'm assuming that Grealish will still be there. You know, people can kind of say what they like about... Uh, <laughs> you know what kind of personal hatred they have for Grealish, but the fact remains he's a, a very good footballer. Uh, Albert Adomo was very good for them last season. Just signed Balassi on loan from Everton, who, lest we forget, was a thirty million pound player for Everton a couple of years ago, and is a, a very. I think it will just be phenomenal in the Championship, to be honest. So yeah, Villa, are, Villa have tooled up to a level that we, on paper, will really struggle with. All right, thank you very much to Jay for giving up his time to talk to me today. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back next week. Obviously looking forward to the Villa game this weekend. Don't forget to check out uptheblades.com where we will have a preview of that game uh, probably up on Thursday or Friday this week. Uh, we already have the Jay's piece on the Bolton win uh, on there at the moment, so it's uptheblades.com. Uh, some in-depth conclusions from the game, some of the things we talked about today and some other areas that we didn't get to as well. So strongly recommend checking that one out, of course. Um, and yeah, thank you for all your questions. Hopefully we'll be able to get to those in future episodes or on the site as well. Uh, don't forget, you can tweet me at BladesPod. You can get Jay at Blades Analytic. And finally, thank you very much for listening and for subscribing and downloading, uh, interacting with us on Twitter, on forums, etc. Um, you know, just makes the whole the whole United watching uh, experience even more enjoyable, I suppose. So thanks very much again. We'll be back soon. <laughs> <laughs>